The buyer said, you know what? I don't need you to come to my office, get coffee, sit in my lobby, go through security, sit in my office, have a conversation with me, waste my time, and then leave again when I can, from the comfort of my office without having to look at you, you know, mouth breathing in my office, I can just look at you in the camera, we can have a conversation and we can move on with our day. Hi there guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. Today we are joined all the way from Augusta in the US by Jeb Blount. Uh, Jeb, I regard as one of the top 0.1% of sales specialists in the world and you're about to hear why. So super excited to bring this uh, individual to you today. Uh, so Jeb is a sales acceleration specialist. He spends usually over 250 days on the road delivering sales training all around the world from the US to Russia, Europe and many other parts of the world. Um, he's got a number of companies, Sales Gravy, Channel EQ, Level 4 Training and Innovate HCG. Um, and he really does uh, know his craft inside out. So today we talk about one of his 14 books, right? So he's written 14 incredible books all about sales. And today we're going to talk about the one book that I think is incredibly relevant today. And it's called Virtual Selling, How to Sell Anybody Virtually. And so one of the true truisms, I should say, of business is that either you're doing the selling or someone's selling you. But if you think about a day in a normal business now. I mean, we're on Zoom's calls, we're on Teams calls, we're on Google Hangouts, et cetera, et cetera. And this virtual interface is the th conduit from me selling you as an example, or you selling a potential customer. Um, but how exactly do you do this now? And what does C19 uh, represent in terms of a new paradigm of selling uh, and it's virtual selling right and so one of the very big points that I really want to get uh, your heads uh, around is this idea of the fact that C19 has now removed borders it is now borderless selling you can now sell anyone anywhere in the world and if you're a startup if you're a small business you're just a salesperson and you want to grow your portfolio of customers and your revenue and crush your quota etc virtual selling represents an incredible opportunity we just need to figure out exactly how to execute within this new paradigm so uh, this is part one of a two-part series so strap yourselves in for a cliffhanger guys uh, keep in mind that this is only a 45 minute episode we are getting jeb uh, back again uh, but this was just by virtue of the fact that we only had him for 45 minutes so and then part two it'll be a bit longer but as you're about to hear he really is one of the top experts in the world so without further ado into Jeb Blount. Hello ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another cracking installment of the Matt Brown show. Today we are joined live from Georgia or near Augusta in Georgia by Jeb Blount. Welcome to the show. Thank you Matt it was nice to see you. Likewise, mate. Uh, so Augusta, is that, are you near where the Augusta Golf Championship is? That's exactly right. The Augusta National, home of the Masters. Uh, that's, uh, we're just right down the street from us. Okay, fantastic. Have you played on that course? I have not played on that course. I've spent a lot of hours on that course, but I've not <laughs> gotten a chance to play on it. They don't let people like me play on that course. I'm, oh, not, really? uh, I'm not in that, in that, in that uh, elite group. <laughs> so you're not like a, a master sales guy and master scratch golfer at the same time, hey? No, no, I would just embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So, Jeb, we're going to be talking about uh, a very relevant topic here, which is uh, a book you've written uh, called Virtual Selling, uh, a quick start guide to leveraging video technology and virtual communication channels to engage remote buyers and close deals fast. So this is right up my street. Um, so, Jeb, um, why don't you 
kick us off? Like, give us the elevator pitch. Who are you? What do we need to to know about Jeb? Um, over to you. Well, I, you know, I'm the author of 13 books. I run a company called Sales Gravy, and I'm the CEO and founder of Sales Gravy. We've been around for 13 years. We work with companies across the globe. I think we do deliver sales training on basically every continent except for Antarctica. Uh, we are a $25 million company, and uh, all we do is think about, talk about, train, teach, build, grow, you name it. We just do sales. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, an, awesome, it's an awesome place to, uh, to be because it's the thing that I love the most, and we, I get to do it every day. All right, fantastic. So obviously, you've been in this game for quite some time. What lights you up still about this selling proposition or the ability to make sales? I, you know, I, I love the I love the craft itself. I like the fact that sales professionals for today's economy are essentially our superheroes. We're you know, you, you're in a down economy, salespeople are going to pull you out of it. You're in a you're in a top economy, salespeople are typically sustaining it. I love the, the I love the, the the process of stepping into a customer's account and you know pulling a puzzle together. And then showing them something that they hadn't seen before. So I really dig that. And and I, you know, it's one of those things where for me, I only do a couple of things well. We were talking about golf. I don't do golf very well, but I do sales really well and I do horses really well. And that's about it. Those are the only two things in my life that I'm any good at. And 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 sales and horses are a lot alike in that there's a lot of psychology involved in the way that you, you know, the way that you approach a horse with confidence the same way that you know you approach people with confidence. So I, I love those things. And and frankly, I, I just think now is probably the best time in our history to be a sales professional because we're, you know, we're learning how to use all these different channels and we have all these different channels available to us. I mean, just take WhatsApp. WhatsApp is like the Swiss army knife of selling, right? Because you can you can connect with people any way, anyhow on WhatsApp. Like you can send a text message, an email, a picture, a video. You can talk on video. You can talk on the phone. It's it's and you can t- you can connect with people all over the world. Geographic boundaries have been taken down, and I think it's incumbent on salespeople to understand how to use all those those channels so that they can have more conversations with people. Because what has not changed and what will always continue to be for salespeople is a simple fact that the more people you have conversations with, the more you're going to sell. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's very interesting because um, I, I was talking uh, on a show previously about um, the cost of ge- lead generation on platforms like Facebook and platform. We're in the B2B space um, and how ineffectual it is now if you don't have massive budgets. Um, and one can understand what's going on there. But now you can get access. I can get your phone number for sure, mm-hmm. literally. And if you, I know that as you do, and as you said, most people have WhatsApp. So if I wanted to get in touch with Jeb, it's very, very disruptive, right? Because messages, is, you, you're far more likely to go piss off on a WhatsApp, right? <laughs> than you will say, like click on, a, on, a, on an ad on, on LinkedIn as an example, yeah. right? So yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the the advertising cost for B2B, and we, you know, we struggled with it this year. We, you know, we were we were thinking, okay, we, we've had an incredible year. So, in the best year of our company's history, we've doubled our sales this year. It's been insane, and we, 
you know, we've, we've thought about, okay, well, we're moving really fast. Let's, let's amplify that by running ads on places like Facebook and LinkedIn and Google. But when you start taking a look at the sheer cost for the return, it's just, it's really hard to justify the ROI because all you're really doing is, you know, you're creating a lead and you're right. Like if you're a, you know, if you're a tech company and you don't care about making a profit and you can just throw, you know, cash at those things, then, you know, maybe, maybe that makes sense. I mean, you create some branding, that type of thing, but but you're exactly right. I mean, on WhatsApp, I can find you and I can find your phone number and I can call you. And, and by the way, the same thing for Facebook Messenger. I can see even when you're online on Facebook Messenger and I can connect with you there. I had a connection with a guy. This, uh, this was a, a young man who uh, hit me on uh, Instagram and made this really cool comment on Instagram. I connected with him and then he called me on Instagram. Like I, my phone was ringing and it was, uh, it was him on a video call. We talked. It was, you know, it was interesting because he broke through all the noise and just had a conversation with me. And it wasn't like he was texting me. Literally, there he was, his face. I'm holding my phone out and we're having a conversation. So I think it shocked him that I answered the the, the message. But I'm like, this is, I mean, this is kind of cool. So yeah. I think that, I think you're exactly right. Outbound selling uh, is, is not going to go away. In fact, it has become more in vogue uh, over the last few months than ever before, simply because it was the only way to break through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and this is the thing, right? I mean, I, I think, and I'm going to ask you now, what, in, I know the pandemic happened. We also had 220% revenue growth here in despite C19 and so forth. I'd love to get your view. What do you attribute your doubling in revenues to? Well, one of the things that we did over the last, well, say, say you know, 18 months prior to the, the shutdown in the US. So we shut down, on March the 14th, March 15th is when, like that was like D-Day, like everything came to a stop on that day. We knew it was coming. I mean, it wasn't like was, we weren't warned, but that, that was like everything came to a screeching halt. We'd spent about 18 months prior to that investing in our studio complex. I'm in one of our studios, this is called Studio Blue. We just, there's still a little construction. You can see the little thing right back here. We're still working on the light switch back there. We have it covered up. We just finished this studio, but we had built a, a, a studio complex, sound studios, we built from the ground up specifically for making sales calls, specifically for training, and to do it right, like to really have a good look. And we've got you know, the best cameras, the best equipment. We've got producers that are working with us, my, you know, my producers right over here. So it makes everything super easy. And as soon as that happened, I mean, all of our training was, you know, was in person. It was, I spent 311 nights on the road last year. That was me. And I've got 26 people on my team and everybody's a road warrior. So it was nothing for us to hop on an airplane. For example, I, one trip that was, that I, I mean, had just done before the pandemic is I flew to New York, then I flew to Doha, then I flew to uh, Kuala Lumpur, and then I flew back to New York, and then I flew to Chicago. And I did, I did events in all of those places, and I did that over a five-day period. That was normal. Like, it was normal for us to, you know, t- I would go to Orlando and give a speech and then hop on a plane and then fly to Shanghai. I mean, that's, that's what we were doing. And, and so what we knew that when the recession hit, and we believed that there was going to be a global recession at some point, like the, the, the economy, at least here in the U.S., was completely on fire. I, it was, I mean, it was red, smoking hot. We couldn't, like we almost couldn't do anything wrong. It was so good. So, but we knew something was coming. And the thing is, is that I grew up in big companies. So I grew up in the Fortune 500 world. And we know that when recessions happen, especially when they're broad recessions that hit almost every industry, and, the, and C19's been a little bit different in the way that it's impacted different industries. 
So it's been a weird kind of a recession. But we know that when that happens, what companies do is they quit traveling. The very first thing they do is they cut T&E because it's an easy thing. Travel doesn't really add any value to anything. So they cut that down. Everybody stays home. And what we were prepared for was a total shutdown, but also the fact that when companies are in a recession, they still need to train their people. They still need to upskill. In fact, companies that are investing in training during a downturn are getting themselves ready for the upturn. Mm. So our our strategy and our plan had been, as soon as things shut down, we're just going to go totally virtual. But we're going to deliver virtual training at a level that no one has ever done before. And that's what, exactly what we did. So as soon as the, the, the pandemic hit and people were like, we're not traveling anymore, we just basically spun up our studios. We'd hop on with CEOs and say, look, take a look at what we can do. We've got, you know, we've got three big studios on the other side of this wall over here. And we took them through the process, the way we train, everything. We just did everything that way. And people started buying into it. And then the word started getting out. These guys are pretty good. And then everything shifted to virtual. And, and then what companies figured out was, hey, you know what? I'm not traveling people. So I just saved $60,000 not putting people in a room. And these guys are creating a very close facsimile of being there in person. In fact, that's everything we designed was if we were there in person, this is exactly how we would run training. So we did that. And, and then so our companies that we're doing, you say one training a month or one training a quarter, we're now doing four trainings a week. And so we, we started building that base out. People started coming to us because... The CEOs talk to each other and they would say, hey, these guys are pretty good at this. And that's what we did. And we just we just stepped right into it and never missed a beat. And, uh, you know, it's been I mean, even me, I'm a keynote speaker. I've delivered 59 keynotes, 59 keynotes since Labor Day. Typically, a keynote involves at least a day and a half or two days of, tra of travel to get to a keynote. And I can only do one keynote a day. I mean, there were days back in September, I was doing three a day. Because I don't have to go anywhere. I've got, a, I've got a keynote studio. We have a 48 foot green screen in there. We've got a big stage. Like we can do exactly what we would do in person. And I think that's when we talk about virtual selling, the book, the book that I wrote this year, that's the whole message to the salespeople. Listen, you have got to be better on video. Like you've got to create a, a, a closer facsimile of being there in person. And when you do, people are going to be more likely to meet with you on a video call. And if they can meet with you on a video call, you can create, it's not exactly like being there in person. Nobody's going to argue that face-to-face -face selling or training or conversation or collaboration isn't the best way for human beings to communicate because it is. It's just not the most efficient way for us to communicate when we, when we have to like break down you know, barriers. I, I take from your accent that you are not in Georgia with me, right? So it would be like almost you know, impossible for us financially to try to do this for me to fly to wherever you are, which sounds like Australia or something like that. So is that, did I get that right? No, South Africa, no, but you know, it's South close. Africa. Okay. So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the American in me, right? So no, I man, would be, I mean, it's a long flight to South Africa. I mean, I think it's like 18, 19 hours to get there. Yeah. So if I flew to South Africa, it would be like, this wouldn't be practical, but you and I can meet on a video call and we can turn this into a podcast and we can touch people differently. And I think the same thing for salespeople, like the, we, what we have to do is we have to recognize that our job is to create a better emotional experience for people on, you know, especially on video calls. And what's happened, you know, during the pandemic itself is that where a lot of my calls have been phone calls, most of them are moving to virtual. People are much, are, you know, video, people are much more 
app to say, hey, can we just hop on a video call? Because we kind of like seeing each other. And it just makes things more personal. So, But that's what we did. And we got a little bit lucky because we started planning way ahead. And we were, I mean, literally, we were unboxing equipment when the country shut down. Like, it was, it was the craziest thing. But so we got a little bit lucky. But then we also, you know, we were also prepared for what, what might potentially happen. And that's one more thing I would say to you, Matt. I think that, you know, coming out of the, this pandemic that we've been in, in particular, and the same thing that happened out of the last recession. For me, the, the, the global financial crisis of 2007, 2008 taught me a lot of lessons. So I'm always looking for a winner. Like I was, I was looking for the next recession because when that thing happened, I was like, this will never happen to me again. I am never going to get caught flat-footed, you know, where the, the, you know, the world falls apart and we're not ready for it. So I think that when we start looking at, you know, at this for all the salespeople out there, you got to start thinking, this is going to happen again. Maybe not in this format, but it's going to happen again. So don't allow yourself to ever be in a situation where you're not prepared for massive transformational change at any given moment. Yeah, lots to get into there, Jeb. Um, if I could ask you, um, you know, you're talking about this kind of new normal, right, as a term that gets bandied about a lot. I mean, if you, I mean, if you think about the fact that you've doubled your revenues, you're saving time. I bet you've got more free time. Actually, I think you, you've more. You have more choice. Whereas before, you were a slave to the calendar. Now you actually can choose to, you know, do stuff with your family. I don't know if you have kids or whatever, but I would imagine that being true because I know that that's more true for me. So I'd love to ask you: Would you go back? I mean, are we going to go back? And to what extent do you feel in the context of you know virtual selling? Um, and the fact I love, I really want to get into this idea of the fact that, you know, uh, borders have now been removed, right? So mm -hmm. I really want to double it down onto that after your, your first answer. So if you could walk us through, um, are we going to go back and to what extent is virtual selling going to dominate now? So I think a couple of things, first of all, I, I can't stand the term new normal. I just, I don't, there's never a normal, right? There's never, we're always in flux. We're always in change. So what we've been through is something that, you know, when we think about change, there's a couple of types of change. I mean, there's everyday change in your life. And then there's transformational change. Transformational change, these are the, these are the, the things in your own life. Like this could happen to you personally. Like, you know, you lose a loved one or, you know, you have a kid. Like a kid, like having, like having a child is transformational change in your life. Now, my kid's grown and working for my company. But, you know, when, but as soon as we had a child, everything in our life changed forever. So getting married, transformational change. So there are things that are going to change for you uh, that are permanent. And that's what transformational change is. Global financial crisis, transformational change. In the U.S., Pearl Harbor was a moment where, you know, our country changed forever. 9-11 uh, for us in the U.S. I'm sure, you know, you think about, you know, the, the, the switch from apartheid in, you know, in South Africa. I mean, that was a massive change for your country that changed forever. Like, and there, are, there this happens everywhere. Every country goes through these type of think, things. The world, the global financial crisis for the world was a massive change for everyone. So there's all of these things that happen. Every time there's transformational change, you never go back. Think, I mean, think about it. I fly all, I mean, and I'd used to, I haven't been on an airplane since March, but I flew all over the world. I mean, I take my shoes off all over the world. Why? Because one dude, like, I uh, on an airplane and had a bomb in his shoes, right? So what do we do? Now, after that, we all take our shoes off all over the world. That's what's happening here. It's not that we're like going to some new normal. I mean, right now we're in a, a weird situation where, depending on where you are, like I'm in Georgia, I can actually go business to business. We're not shut down here, but 
three states over, everybody's shut down. Like you can't even get out of your house. So it just depends on where you are that that's mm -hmm. happening in different countries. But as we emerge from this, right, and and so we, we start we start you know getting out of this place where we're in crisis. As we come out of the crisis, what we can expect are a couple of things. Number one is that you're going to see a massive explosion in innovation. Now, that's not going to just be in sales. It's going to be across the board. And that typically happens after there's some big crisis. We see that explosion. A lot of that's because, for example, out of the financial crisis, you know, back in 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008, I'm, a, you know, I'm an executive. I'm a top-level, senior-level executive in a Fortune 500 company. I mean, I'm, in, I'm a rock star. Like, that's, that's, you know, that's the... That's a place where you, 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 know, you make a lot of money and you're well taken care of and there's good things happening to you. And suddenly, I'm an entrepreneur. But guess what? As an entrepreneur, what did I do? Like I built a company. I hired people. I, we've, done, you know, we've done incredible things that no one has done in our space. I wrote 13 books and redefined you know, entire sectors of, of, you know, of selling. So you think, how many entrepreneurs were created in this world? Restaurants are going out of business, but those entrepreneurs are going to go do something else. And there's people right now who may have lost their jobs or said, like you said, you know what? I can do this anywhere. Like I can be completely global. I don't need to go to work every single day. I'm going to do something different. We're going to see that. So be prepared. The other thing that we're going to, you're going to see is that we're going to be moving way faster. We were already moving fast going into the pandemic. When we come out, we're going to accelerate at an ever-increasing pace. I mean, we're going to move faster. So if you're a sales professional and you're not able to keep up, you are going to get left behind. I'm just telling you, you're going to become extinct. And moving faster means that we have to be able to leverage more tech, more, you know, more of the tools that we have available, things like WhatsApp. If there's people in the U.S. listening to this, they don't even know what the heck WhatsApp is, right? So people don't use it here. We use our iPhones. So, but if you, we don't, nobody uses, we don't use WhatsApp. We have, you know, we just use text messaging. So if you, like people in other parts of the world, like, what are you talking about? You know, text messaging, what is that? So if you think about it, like, you're, you're going to have all of this innovation. We're going to be moving much faster. So for sales professionals, what you're going to find coming out of this is, no, we're not going to go back. Stop wishing, hoping that we're going to. We're not going back. Because buyers changed tr tr you know, in, this, in, in this pandemic tremendously. The buyer said, you know what? I don't need you to come to my office, get coffee, sit in my lobby, go through security, sit in my office, have a conversation with me, waste my time, and then leave again when I can, from the comfort of my office, without having to look at you, you know, mouth breathing in my office, I can just look at you in the camera, we can have a conversation, and we can move on with our day. Salespeople is also are finding, you know what, I can do a video call instead of meeting with you and kick off this. There are going to be situations for salespeople where you need to be there. If you sell into manufacturing, for example, and you sell you know, things that are complex, you probably need to go walk through somebody's plant or you need to go sit in their boardroom and have a conversation. So what we're going to find is we're going to find that there's this blend. And, and blending is what salespeople need to get used to hearing along with sales leaders. What that blend is, is you're going to be using the channel, the communication channel, that's going to give you the highest probability of getting the desired outcome in that sales conversation or wherever you are in your sales cycle with that particular customer that's going to give you the highest probability of getting that outcome at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. And that's all you got to think about. In the future, instead of thinking, man, I got to be there in person or I'm an inside salesperson and I, so I just do it by phone, you think, where's the buyer? What's the best way to connect with this buyer that's going to help me get the outcome, my sales outcome? What, what, am I, what am I there for? My targeted next step. 
at the, at the most efficient in the most efficient way, right? Time, energy, and money cost something. And, and if there's anything that we're going to get out of that, this is going to be this. So salespeople are going to be able to move faster. And most important, you're going to be asked to do more. So you're going to ask to have, you're going to be asked to have a bigger pipeline. You're going to be asked to connect with more people, deliver more meetings. And, we, and I know you've seen this and I've seen this. The salespeople during the pandemic who have embraced this are killing it. Like they are making so much money. They're, they're, they're delivering so many sales because suddenly they woke up. They were a little confused at first and they were like, crap, if I don't have to get in my car or if I don't get an airplane, you know, I can double the number of people that I'm having conversations with every day. And by the way, if you're an inside sales account executive, what you figured out was it's a whole lot easier for me to make a better human connection with you if I get off the phone and get on a video call or instead of doing a software demo where you never see my face, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually interacting with you uh, in a meaningful way. And what I'm doing now is shrinking my sales cycle and I'm closing more business. That's, that's my take on it, Matt, you know, in terms of what the future is going to look like. And, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I think this has been a crucible of pain and grind, and it's been really hard on a lot of people. But you know, out of these crucibles of, verse, out of, of adversity, what, what happens is we get way better at our craft on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, well, there's so much there that I actually agree with, uh, which is really exciting. Um, and uh, just on this idea of um, boundaries being removed, um, obviously, uh, we're talking about virtual selling. I mean, to what extent now do you believe that Matt Brown here or any one of my sales guys here could be virtual selling from Johannesburg into Georgia, if necessary, to like a technology business over there? What, what would stop us? There, I don't think there's anything in the world that would stop you. I mean, if you think about it, India has been working at this a little bit at a time over the last few years. So, it you know, I would say if we go back five years ago, you would never get a call from an Indian sales rep. About five years ago, we started. You know, we would start. You would start getting a call, or you would get a prospecting email or what have you from someone, and then you would connect with them and realize that they're not in the U.S. They were in India. And the sales skills weren't very good, and the language skills weren't very good, and the you know so it, so there was a there was a lot of friction on those calls, sales calls. So the we've been doing a lot of work in India, in particular, uh, over the last few years. You know, helping Indian salespeople, especially if you're calling the U.S., just the level of empathy that you need, how, the pace that you talk, the way that you connect with people, because you because there's something that you have to do this. So if you're in a country and you're calling and say to the U.S. And, and English isn't your native language, then I think it's incredibly important that you're going to have to study the people that you're having conversations with so that you can connect with them. On the, on the flip side, you know, if, if you're in Johannesburg, South Africa, I, I said you're, you know, the, your accent, but you know, you've, got a, you've got a leg up. Like Americans love your accent. Like, you know, if you, like, I should have your accent because I could probably sell more with your accent because you know, people hear this swoon every time you speak, right? So if you call up, they're like, they think, you're, they think you're way smarter than we are because you've got a cooler accent than we do. So I think if you're a native English speaker, there's absolutely nothing that holds you back other than the fact that you're on the other side of the world. So you're going to have to work at night versus is working in the middle of the day, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the, th- those are the, you know, those are the only boundaries, but I don't think other than that, there is any boundary. Why would there be? My company does business on every continent. We work with company companies in Asia and in Europe and in South America. Um, we're, you know, we're, 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 we, we go to Australia and recently we've been doing work in Australia by, you know, via, uh, via uh, video. 
So how do we sell? I mean, we don't get on an airplane to go do a deal. If we're doing a deal with a company in Ireland, we're working with a company in Ireland right now. We didn't get on an airplane to go there and sell them. We did it all on video. And, and then once we got the deal inked, then we delivered all the training on video. Now, in the old days, which was only nine months ago, we would have gotten on an airplane to deliver the training, right? So now we're delivering training on video, but we still would have sold completely virtual. And, and as a company, we've always been completely virtual because the economics of us you know, getting on an airplane and going someplace doesn't make sense. Even, by the way, a big city like Atlanta that's just a couple of hours from here, you know, I've gone on sales calls in Atlanta and met with people there, and I think to myself, how inefficient was this? Because I, I spent three hours in my car to go have a meeting with a group of stakeholders, and I could have done the exact same thing on a video call and with the exact same, with the exact same impact. Mm-hmm. So we delude ourselves into believing that we have to do those things. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, and this is important, that there aren't some sales calls that require you to be in person. There are. There are discovery calls that you should be there. If you're you know, if you're doing a presentation on a multi-million dollar investment for a large organization and you've got skeptical executives, it might make sense for you to gather them all in a boardroom and have a conversation, which I've done. One of the largest deals I ever sold, the entire thing was done virtually except for the final presentation where I went to the company's headquarters and sat down with their executives, which was exactly the right move. Back to blending, right? So, but, but I think that in most cases, and I'm talking about when I say most, 95% of the time, that I don't, I don't think that there are boundaries that hold us back other than there's just going to be the human boundary. Like the human boundary is, can you connect? Do you understand the culture that you're calling into? This is, you know, the Indian problem with calling, sometimes calling Americans is Americans don't understand Indians and Indians don't always, you know, study or understand Americans. And so there can be conflict and friction there, even if it's unspoken. So some of that you have to just, we have to talk to each other more often. But I think the other part of it is teaching Especially if you know if Americans are calling Indians, like we have to change the way we do work too. So we have to understand that. So no matter where you are, who you're talking to, you have to work on that. So for example, we do business in China. We you know we I I I, I love working with Chinese sales reps. They're fun and you know they and they learn and you know and we have a you know different sales culture in the U.S. versus say China. Uh, but I'd be very very hard for me personally to sell into China because English is not a language that most Chinese people speak and, you know, and, and speak very well. And I don't speak a lick of Chinese. So, you know, it would be very, very difficult for us to break down that barrier. But if I was a, if I was a Chinese, if I could speak Mandarin, I mean, you know, Hmm. the, the world would be my oyster, right? So I think that you know, I think that to some extent, if we're listening to this and you're like, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, here's the message for you. And Matt just gave you this and he's going to be teaching lessons on this really soon. Learn to speak other languages and you're going to be like, you're going to be a superstar salesperson. Uh, listen, I firstly want to uh, make a comment there about something you said. I lived in the States for two years right when i was single and the accent totally works it's unbelievable <laughs> it does it's unbelievable um, i know it's like you sh- like you show up at a bar like and you and you just say anything like and, and like there's a bunch of girls and they're all hanging around the guys and they're all over talking to you yeah Where are you from yeah no <laughs> i know right so maybe 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 we should just drink our own kool-aid right i'm gonna fly my entire <laughs> sales team there for three months <laughs> or maybe just build a broadcast studio just like you. <laughs> Who knows, right? But uh, you got to roll with the punches. Um, I want to p- just double down on something that you touched on 
around selling into your culture um, because I think it's something into the culture that you're trying to sell into if you in the context of borderless sales because I think it's something that's overlooked. Oftentimes we look at sales strategy, you know, price, positioning, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, but actually we don't look at the, the context that the executive or the decision maker is living in or sitting in. Uh, as a case in point, we're a South African business trying to expand over to the UK as an example or maybe to the US. So what is, in your expert opinion, uh, Jeb, most often overlooked in this space? What do we need to really, really know about there? Well, the number one issue I think that is most overlooked is that it's, it's, this is human. Like, so the human beings, like the way that we operate. So for example, a smile, like the smile is universal language. So the way that our brains work as human beings from a just pure psychological standpoint, it's all the same. Like we all do the same things. And I think the biggest thing that gets that gets missed, and this is this is culturally all over the world, because I get this, I get asked this question all the time, is what we miss is that we're still dealing with another human being. So empathy matters. Empathy is a meta skill, and listening matters. And I think more than anything, your, the culture doesn't make a difference when your mouth is shut. Like if you're just listening to the person, and I think the easiest, fastest way to learn how to communicate with another person is to shut up. And one of the things that I find, and this is, this is really true for Americans, like we love to talk, is that we, all, you know, we get someone else on the phone and so we just start pitching them. And instead of stopping and saying, tell me about you, help me understand your situation. So whenever I'm working with people, over, for me overseas, but in different countries, I always just start with, tell me about you. Let me listen to you. So I think we have to value that. I think secondly is it, it helps to study the culture. So, which by the way, that's a little harder in a virtual world because the best way to study a culture is to go be in it. Like if you go to a country mm -hmm. and you sit in it for a while, it's easy. So I, I used to do a ton of training in Russia. So I would go train salespeople in Moscow. Uh, you know, in, usually in the dead of winter because I'm the only stupid idiot that's willing to go to Russia in the middle of the winter and train salespeople. So I would go there and, and, and the first couple of times, you know, it was, I was really trying to figure out like this, how, this cultural, how this worked. And what I figured out like on the third try was if I'm not like so confident like, and so unmovable and so Teflon, they are never going to respect me. So... The, the third class in, you know, because the Russians would challenge me, they would push me and, you know, and I'm, you know, trying to learn the accent, like it's really hard to, so you, after a while you start picking it up. And so on the third tribe, I, I looked at the guys telling me, I said, get out of my classroom and don't come back until you're willing to show me some respect. And boom, the every, everybody went and they all went and they started nodding and I had them. And I was like, that's what you have to do every single time. Every class, they're going to challenge me. And if I push back really hard, they're gonna, they're all, everybody will lean forward and pay attention and we're all good. And so I started getting more and more gigs in Russia because people are like, this guy gets us, right? He speaks our language. Mm. And, and that's, you know, if that's the, the, the one message I can give you about culture is that every human being wants to be understood. We, we want for people to get us. And in fact, in your life, the people that, that, that get you are the ones that you value the most. Well, that's where language comes into play. If you speak another person's language, they have a tendency to get you. But you don't have to speak the whole language. You have to speak part of the language. So, for example, go back to Russia. What I started doing was I would walk into the class. 
I learned enough Russian to do my first, you know, 10 minutes purely in Russian, butchered, but in Russian, and people would lean into it. If you're in Germany and you speak a little bit of German, people will, you know, embrace you. And then everybody there speaks English, so you're good. So it's not about, like, I need to know the complete language, but I need to know their language. And the language of the country and the language of the human, the language of the organization, it's all different. The only way that you learn it is to listen or pay attention or, you know, even in my case, you know, go do it a few times until you, you know, let them teach you, like, this is not what you do. This doesn't work. This works. So if you do that, then it works. Like, for example, like, I love, I love training in India. I love it. I, I mean, it's a, it's a tough place. It's hot. Uh, the food doesn't necessarily agree with me all the time. You know, I've, I've, I've done trainings where, like, I'm, you know, I'm taking breaks and running to the bathroom because I'm sick. Uh, but I love training the Indian sales professionals, I love it because I like the way that they're inquisitive and I and I they're you know and they want to learn and they absorb and uh, and you know and it's an emerging market and what I you know what I teach people is that you have to learn how to teach in that environment because it's different than teaching in the U.S. and you have to be able to be flexible to it and listen to it and pay attention and it, same thing it took me you know I, I had I spent you know a week in Mumbai teaching and after I did that. I was like, wow, I really enjoy this. And now I'm, lear I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to pay attention to what's happening. And like one of the funny things was, you know, the, when, when, when in India, when people agree with you, they, their head moves back and forth, right? In the U.S., when people don't agree with you, their head moves back and forth. So I'm sitting there like teaching and there's a, everybody's doing like this. And I'm like, what am I saying that's so wrong? Like, what are they? And so I finally figured out when they're doing like, they're happy. So, you know, it's one of those things where... You know, I, you just have to pay attention and learn and, and read and absorb and talk to other people. But more than anything, shut up and listen. Because if you pay attention, you'll, you know, people will teach you how to interact with them and how to connect with them. Because this is human. And by the way, when you speak their language, country language, human, you know, their personal language, their organizational language, their language of problems and aspirations, when you speak that, people tend to lean into you and they, th they think that and believe that you get them. They'll begin to trust you. You'll earn respect. And then once you earn respect inside of a culture, they'll introduce you to other people because you help them and you'll start getting more and more opportunities inside that culture. Mm. Fascinating. Um, how, I mean, I, uh, many years ago, I don't know who uh, told me this, but it was like, if you want to commercialize something, teach it, like teach to sell. How true is that today? Oh my God. I mean, I, I think that that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful piece of advice. Like everything is, you, you need to teach yourself. I mean, you need to read and read and read and read and read, absorb things like this, go online, take courses, pay for them, do it what's free, like teach yourself. My, my, my creative director here, great example, David Montessori, who is brilliant and, and helped us build this studio complex that is, there's nothing like this. I, there's, there, I, I don't think there's anything like this in the U.S., what we built here. And he learned all of this on YouTube. Like literally, I mean, he came from Hungary. He immigrated from Hungary. He won the green card lottery, right? Got to the U.S. Green cards like gives you the ability to work here. Got, got to the U.S., worked at Office Depot. He was an IT, you know he's, a, he's a, you know, he's an engineer in his head and decided he really, really liked production. So he started learning and started learning, started learning, started learning. And we run a big conference called Outbound and I met him there. I hired a bunch of people to come and shoot the thing. I met him there. He did a little bit of work for me on the fly. I'm like, this guy's really smart. So we hired him, brought him on. He's really smart, promoted him, gave him more responsibility. 
you know, how do you get there? He commercialized himself by learning. Like he, he literally went to school in a unique way on YouTube, right? And, and then every single day, like I'll say, can we do this? And he goes, I don't know. Let me go find out. So he'll go do a bunch of research and come back and say, and sometimes he'll go, no, I don't think we can do it. I go, it's got to be possible. And he goes, no, it's got to be possible. And then a week later, he'll come back and go, yeah, you're right. It's possible. We can do this. And, but he'll do, go do the research. I think the same thing for salespeople. Like, you know, know your customer, know your industry, know everything, be the smartest person, be an expert. Um, that, and, and being an expert doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody you're an expert. Being an expert means that you have to be able to ask the right questions that provoke awareness in other people that they're missing something, that there's a gap or an issue or an opportunity or maybe even pain that's causing, that's holding them back. And having that, having that knowledge gives you the ability to, to, be that, to be that person. One thing I would say to you, Matt, especially around this, and this is you know, maybe to wrap this up, is that we always talk about selling value. And, and I hear it every single day. Leaders are, they're like, I tell my people to sell value, but they, you know, all they do is talk about price. And, and salespeople are like, how do I sell value? I'm like, listen, here's the deal. The only way that you can sell value, value is for you to be valuable. And, and that means that you have to be able to walk in and help people solve problems. Problem solvers are the champions of the business world. And the only way that you're going to help people solve problems is that you have knowledge that allows you to see things that they can't see. And the only way you're going to get the knowledge is, as you said, is going to be to invest in yourself and to help yourself build the knowledge because nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. Cognizant of time, Jeb. Um, I think we're going to have to do part two at some point, uh, potentially next year. Uh, there's lots I want to get into with you. Um, I want to um, maybe go here. Um, I'm actually moving to the States, um, moving there next year. Um, and uh, one of my key focuses, obviously, with that would be to sell, right? So to grow the, the US revenue streams. On day one, I land. What's my focus? Building a list. I mean, your number one focus is going to be you need a targeted list. If you're going to go build revenue and you get in the U.S., we're a big country. I mean, I, I don't. There's a in, perhaps in South Africa, but like, those people come from Europe have just no concept of how vast we are. So they think, you know, they, they land in Atlanta and go, "Where's L.A.?" You know, so they like, "No, he's three thousand miles on the other side." So I think, I, th I think, first of all, people don't recognize how vast of a country we are and how how the diversity of our culture. So if you're up north selling versus down south selling, or you know, on the west coast, Silicon Valley, or you know, Colorado, or whatever. So I think that you know, if you say, "I want to build," you know, the U.S., the most important thing is. You need to narrow your focus to a targeted list, and this is true for all salespeople, right? The the more targeted your list, the more the more you know. The, I guess we could say another way of saying this, the better your outcomes, right? The more successful you're going to be. So for you, in fact, I would begin that before you land. But I would say here are the organizations, here are the people, here are the cities that I want to target, and then keep it narrow. That's what all I would do. And, and, and then, then what, if I were going completely greenfield, or if I was going completely greenfield, what I would do is say, I, I want to pick an industries where I have a high probability of getting a win. And then I want to, I want to lay out some conquest accounts, so some businesses inside that industry, that if I get a win with that business, 
that I can I can then get wins with other businesses because I've got social proof that will get everyone else to give me a chance. Because when you're a greenfield, like when you're just starting off and you're just trying to build something from scratch, nobody trusts you, nobody believes you, and you have to get someone to believe you first. So better to go focus on the highest probability opportunities on a targeted list and then and then try to work next door. The one thing you want to be avoid though, and, that, and this is important, if you're targeting an industry and it's like a Coke and Pepsi industry where there's only a couple of really big players and not a whole lot of other players. You're you're going to get you're going to get stuck where you sell you sell one of them, the other one's not going to do business with you. So, mm. if you want to really expand, pick an industry that is hyper competitive, where there are a lot of a lot of competitors, so that selling multiple competitors in the industry is not going to preclude you from selling others. And then, and then find the most influential ones and knock them down. Get them and then go next door and say, you know what? Your competitor's doing business with me. They're getting an advantage here. You should too. And they'll go, okay, what do we need to do? And then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. So that's, for me, it's like super targeted. And because I, I do believe that people who come, who come to the U.S., and I see this all the time with organizations and executives and you know, I had the same same thing. I had a guy from Australia who came up and built a business, and and they was they were just like they were failing. And and I went and sat down with the sales team, like, who are you calling on? And they were like, just we just bought a list. We just calling people randomly on these lists. I'm like, this is a death sentence. You were never going to make it. So we helped them really get focused on what their target market was going to be, what their ideal qualified prospect would be, and get them dialed in so that they can sell things and create some. I got I got so I, and sell some create create some uh, some you know some. Uh, revenue opportunities. So I think uh, I think that's what I would do, Matt. In, in my opinion, I don't mm. know the sound, how that sounds to you, but that's where I would go. Great stuff. Cool. On that bombshell, just um, I'd love to get you back, Jeb. Uh, I know we've been uh, kind of been under pressure on this part, if you don't mind. Uh, but uh, I always ask my uh, my guests this final question: But why do you do all this? Why do you do what you do? I, because I like making an impact. I mean, I I don't do it for money. I certainly don't do it for fame. Uh, I just do it because I really dig making an impact. I, I'm, you know, whether I'm walking through an airport or I'm delivering a virtual training, I pinch myself sometimes because I just get to do what I like to do. And I dig it when someone writes me a note and says, you know, you changed my life, or I was working on this deal and I grabbed something out of, you know, sales EQ or virtual selling or fanatical prospecting and I made it work. And this is the thing that pushed me over the edge. So that's why I do it. I, I, and, I, and I truly, in my heart, I love sales. It's my hobby. It's my sport. It's my life. It's everything that I do. And I just love the craft. Awesome stuff. We've been getting a lot of comments on LinkedIn. So thanks, everybody, for checking in online. And uh, Jeb, we'll see you here again soon. Cheers now. Awesome. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon bestselling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook.